Building a startup requires the founder to have a very strong sense of mission. Why does this company exist? What purpose does this company serve? That mission is going to be what draws people to the company. Your job as a founder or CEO is to convince that person that this company is going to be a unicorn and to look them straight in the face and say, you're going to quit your job. You're going to take this opportunity because it's a once in a lifetime or twice in a lifetime opportunity and you're not going to regret it because high quality people are drawn to high quality founders. If you essentially take capital and you hire a bunch of B people or low quality people, then the company's not going to succeed. My name is Tim Huang, founder and CEO of Fiscal Note. Fiscal Note is a legal and information data and company where we collect laws and regulations and help people to understand how laws potentially impact their organizations. You know, we service everyone from the White House, the CDC. We raised probably about a quarter billion dollars uh, in venture capital from folks like Mark Cuban, Jerry Yang. We recently went public uh, for over a billion dollars. To the subscribers of EO, you know, we're definitely interested in talking about the challenges of building a company in the U.S., B2B market and startup landscape, and of course, how to build a unicorn startup, uh, you know, globally. Yeah, enjoy. <laughs> For me, I never thought of myself as an entrepreneur, to be honest. Ever since I was in middle school and high school, my dream was to you know, go to law school, become a prosecutor, and then run for political office and become a politician. And to me, business was always a practical way to make an impact. And then uh, when I was about 16 or 17, a friend of mine called me and he said, there's this guy, he's running for president, you should check him out. He has a really funny name, but it's, he's a really, really interesting guy. So I went on, online and I watched his speech. And I felt like even if he doesn't become president, I feel like we should actually try and make him become president. And so I actually ended up working for Senator Obama's presidential campaign back in 2007, 2008. It was such a life-changing experience because it was like one big startup. We had to build offices in all 50 states. The campaign had to raise you know, about a billion dollars in capital, and then we had to deploy it to consumers, about 300 million Americans, you know, within about 12 months. That idea of basically, you know, sleeping in the, the back of the office with pizza boxes and, you know, you know working till two or three in the morning and trying to get someone elected, I think that was a very energizing experience. You know, as I was going into college in 2010, just started getting involved in startups. And I felt like this is the place where I want to be. Because in politics, at least, you know, you'd spend years and years and years trying to make change in the political system. But in startups, at least, you can essentially very, very quickly build a product, get it to market and help customers and change their lives. So at the time, I just finished my degree at Princeton and then just started actually my MBA at Harvard. When I had the idea for Fiscal Note, I was extremely focused on making sure that the company was going to succeed. We, we had sort of a vision of where we wanted to be and it was just pure execution at that point and everything else was sort of noise to me at the end of the day. So after we raised our seed round of capital, it was like, I'm never going to go back to school. You know, we've raised millions of dollars. We have, you know, dozens of employees. We have to actually make this a success. The way that we make decisions, and particularly the first decision when we started the company was, what is a real truth that is not going to change in 20 or 30 years? Will the world become more complex or less complex? Will the world become more politically challenging or less politically challenging? To me, it was, it was so obvious that the world was heading in, in a direction where it was gonna become much more complex, where politics was gonna be much more important. The problem was very clear. When you talk to customers, they're just overwhelmed with regulations and the complexity of politics. Maybe 20 years ago, CEOs didn't have to care that much about politics. That's like something else that's going on over there. Today, if there's a political issue, they always bring the microphone and they ask CEO, what is your opinion? The one unique thing that we got right was we picked a macro trend that was never going to change, is we essentially take laws and regulations uh, from each and every country around the world. We collect it using AI, and then we use kind of machine learning, natural language processing to be able to help people to process that information, search information, eventually make decisions based off of that data. You can think of it's almost like the Bloomberg terminal for law. So our first round of investment we raised at the end of 2013. To be honest, you know, we had just built a product. There's a tiny little product 
product. And you know, we said, okay, we really need to expand this business because we were working out of a Motel 6 in Silicon Valley. One night, actually, I was watching Shark Tank, uh, the TV show. And you know, it was my co-founders and I were you know, you know, sleeping in this motel room and we were just looking at TV. I was like, oh man, wouldn't it be so great if Mark Cuban invested in our company? The next day, I actually went on Google and I typed in Google Mark Cuban email address. And then I went to the Contact Us page of his TV company. And right there was his email address. So I shot him a three or four sentence email. Subject line was changing government. And then in the email, I said, uh, my name's Tim. You know, I just graduated from college. I'm starting this company. Here's what we're going to do. Here's how we're going to change the world. And he responded within 45 minutes. And so, you know, Mark Cuban and I, you know, we went back and forth over email for a couple of days and he said, okay, great. I want to do it. I'm going to invest. He said, how much are you raising? You know, at the time we were raising $740,000 because we had exactly calculated how much we need for 12 months. And he said, I'll do the whole thing. <laughs> uh, Mark was our very, very first investor. That was our first little kind of venture round. It was came together very quickly. And uh, to be honest, I feel like we were extremely lucky, but you know, that definitely changed our lives for sure. The reason why a lot of founders struggle to get investment, a lot of founders, particularly first time founders, they don't know what is an investable company, what is a not investable company. What a lot of founders need to do is they need to educate themselves on the particular interests of this investor. There's many, many, many different types of investors, B2C investors, B2B investors. If you are starting a consumer company, B2C company, you definitely should not email a B2B investor because they're not going to be interested. And a lot of the venture investing mindset is very pattern recognition oriented. They're very, very interested in trying to invest like this other company. It's like A, we should invest in B, which is why a lot of startup founders say it's Uber for this or Airbnb for that. These investors are looking for individual things in an investable business. They're looking at the business model, the future profitability. If you're going to be the CEO of a company, you need to know all of those things. It's your responsibility to understand that market, understand the investable landscape and then to actually try and build a company in that in that general context. We started this company when we were 21 years old. We were straight out of college. We had zero network. <laughs> we have zero connection to Wall Street, zero connection to Silicon Valley, zero connection to kind of major American companies. We built that network ourselves, literally going on LinkedIn and then one person at a time reaching out to them, you know, getting a warm intro, literally going to cocktail parties, you know, forcing our way in the back door and then you know, shaking people's hands and taking their business cards. We hustled really hard. It was a very, very effort-driven mechanism to essentially build that network. Any business is, you know, requires a huge level of network. If you want to build a successful B2C company as well, eventually you're going to need to do B2B work, you know, whether it's with advertisers or with partners or whatnot. Of course, network is going to matter quite a lot. We definitely didn't have an aha moment and it was actually very unsexy. It was really just pure hard work and effort, you know, just trying to get the, to the right answers as quickly as possible. We had a Google spreadsheet and on this Google spreadsheet, we listed out 2000 company names and we literally bought a phone from 7-Eleven and we called, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of companies and we asked them, do you have this problem? Do you have this problem? You know, can you spend five minutes with us, can you, t you know, take 10 minutes with us? And so when we built the product, it was after maybe 100 or 200 conversations, people who had this particular problem and needed this particular issue solved. Our first customer was a defense contractor. So I think that from that perspective, we got validation very quickly. You know, they came in, they paid $20,000. We knew, I mean, we actually still in our office have the contract frame because if we could get one customer, we could definitely get 10 customers. And if we get 100 customers, we can definitely get 1,000 customers. 1,000 customers, you essentially become a unicorn. I think that we have a competitive advantage in technology. You know, the investment investments that we made in AI essentially prove that, you know, collectively we can build a company and a product that our customers want. Uh, let's say you're a pharma company. Pharma companies, they're trying to understand what their competitors are thinking about, what the government is thinking about. And so for us, who's sitting actually at the center of everything, we have the FDA as a customer. We have the CDC as a customer. I can tell you from our perspective, oh, by the way, the FDA is going to pass this regulation. Um, you should probably look at this. So you essentially become experts in that particular policy arena. The companies, they essentially just, they rely on you to kind of provide that intelligence. And 
And to be totally candid, there are many, many points where Fiscal Note could have failed. But in the back of my head, I would always say that failure is not an option. Um, we're going to do whatever it takes to you know, make this a success. That pure raging determination is probably you know, what enabled the company to sort of get to this point today. When we were founding Fiscal Note, you know, I was 21 years old. I was seriously founded by the time I was 22. We were managing a 100% company by the time I was like 24. I mean, it was like very, very, very rapid growth. To be totally honest, I, I don't come from an extremely wealthy family. Parents grew up pretty modestly. They came to the U.S. speaking almost no English. I grew up in the U.S. I went to school in the U.S. I went to college in the U.S. I work in the U.S. But there's there's sort of the sense of not being American. It's a challenge because there exists in the business culture a kind of invisible club. Uh, imagine there's a very, very exclusive club. Trying to break into this club has been, you know, something that I've been trying to do for the last, you know, 10 or 15 years. You definitely get ignored a lot. People assume that you're not going to be a great executive or a great communicator. They probably think that you're some engineer. And I think it's also very lonely. You know, I was at a, a dinner, you know, this is a dinner of all of the CEOs in the DC area. And I was looking around the room and I was the only Asian person in the entire room. <laughs> I texted my co-founder. I was like, dude, this is so messed up. How am I the only Asian in this room? And, you know, there's sort of circles of like five or six CEOs, you Know, typically Caucasian men and they're all like sort of drinking in there and you're trying to like walk into a little circle and like make conversation and they sort of look at you and they ignore you even though to be honest I think our company is probably one of the biggest companies in that room <laughs> when we were starting Fiscal Note we knew that we are disadvantaged that we we're going to have to work much harder and try much harder if you want to get covered by the press you're going to have to contact 10 times more reporters if you want to get investment you have to contact 10 times more VCs because you're probably going to get ignored I think that that probably gave us a little bit more of a drive to want to put in you know more effort to me startups are the purest form of opportunity. If you have an idea and you work hard at it and you constantly, constantly put effort in and you put in the hours and passion and everything, the company should succeed. That is what makes startups so exciting. Building a startup requires the founder to have a very strong sense of mission. Why does this company exist? What purpose does this company serve? That mission is going to be what draws people to the company. And the people that are attracted to that mission are going to find your company very, very compelling because you know what? Like life is extremely short. In that short amount of time, do you want to go a nine to five job making somebody else wealthy? Or do you want to come and change the world? Now imagine this, you know, you're a software engineer, you know, making a decent amount of money, six figures, and you get a cold email from a startup founder. So I have this company, the product is not built. We just raised a small amount of money. Do you want to quit your job and come work for us? I'm going to take a huge pay cut and maybe a little bit of stock. 90%, 95% people would say no. I mean, why, why would I do that? I have such a comfortable life. Your job as a founder or CEO is to convince that person that this company is going to be a unicorn and to look them straight in the face and say, you're going to quit your job. You're going to take this opportunity because it's a once in a lifetime or twice in a lifetime opportunity and you're not going to regret it because high quality people are drawn to high quality founders. If you essentially take capital and you hire hire a bunch of B people or low quality people, then the company's not going to succeed. And I would say for Fiscal Note, we typically, almost in every case, with the exception of one or two, have acquired founder-driven companies. For me, founder-driven companies are very different. They're very special because the founders themselves picked each person individually in their organization. They also have a very strong sense of responsibility you know, of making this company a success. They also typically have taken some level of venture capital. So there's sort of this very aggressive speed mindset. And they typically tend to treat their employees very, very well, almost like a family-like environment. If you combine that experimentation and bias for action and family-like environment and sense of ownership, that's a really great culture to have. And it's something that we had at Fiscal Note for a long time. I don't know what it is, but I think when we are very, very young and we had a very, very, very good team. We had, you know, 
know, computer science PhDs quit their jobs. We had you know, people who had come from the military. You know, we had this very strong sense of mission. Even though we had a small amount of time, I think that very quickly we built a team that was going to stick together for good times and bad. You know, at Fiscal Note, we were probably working 16 hours a day, seven days a week for you know almost two years. I told my employees actually, I need you in the office somewhere between you know 9:30 and 10, seven days a week, every single day. Right now, at a seed stage company, we have 18 exact months to basically hit a particular milestone, you need to be in the office seven days a week. I think that in those types of cases, having a founder or CEO that's able to draw and attract a team that has the same mindset and the same mentality, I think is extremely important. Just because you receive investment doesn't mean that you're going to succeed. It's actually higher likelihood that you're going to fail because at this point, you know, you've taken the money from the investors and you now have to spend it and you have to spend it very quickly because the market is changing, the landscape is changing, competitors popping up, investors expect you to generate a return at a particular amount of time. The timing is probably the most important thing in my opinion and it depends on the sector, right? And technology, the good thing about technology is that these timing trends happen all the time. 2007, you know, Steve Jobs gets up and he introduces the iPhone. That launches is a whole next 10 years of mobile investing, mobile companies, mobile startups, that trend, you have to be able to jump on it immediately. From a startup perspective, when you pick the idea, you have to understand not just why does this company exist, but why now? Why is this timing right now the perfect timing for the company? In my opinion, actually having done startups now for almost 10 years, I think that's probably one of the most important questions that founders have to ask themselves. Why is the timing for this exactly right now? You know, why wasn't it five years ago or 10 years ago? Why isn't it five years from now? And I think that if you can get that timing exactly correct, then the startup should be able to ride the tailwinds of, of some general market trend. The biggest decisions that we made were always about people. People problems are what really, really break down companies. Particularly for Series A or Series B companies, those companies have significant management issues. If you watch the movie, The Social Network, it's really interesting. They go from like their dorm room at Harvard and then literally 10 minutes later, they're like in this massive office with hundreds of employees, right? I was just thinking in my head, like what happens in the middle? Because in the middle, there's so many problems and there's so many people problems. And I remember when I was a Series A founder, Series B founder, you know, every time executive would quit, I'd have to jump in there and have to manage the entire team myself. And so, you know, suddenly I go from managing maybe like four or five people to manage like 20 people overnight. You know, I have to do damage control and, you know, all these different things. And so startups are, it's a very, very, very analytical job. It's very self-reflective. It's almost like, um, like swimming. You have to constantly know what your limits are, what your energy level is, all these different things. I think startups the same thing, right? Everything stops and starts with you. You founded the company. It was your idea. You take responsibility. At that level, you have to know what are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Where am I going to fail? Where are my blind spots? And if you don't know what those fundamental kind of personality traits or flaws are for you, then it's going to be very hard to do your job. And if you can really hone in on what that is, that kind of mentality is constant because when you make a mistake, you put that into your framework. You make another mistake, you put that into your framework. You know, for instance, for me, I have a, a bias when I'm hiring executives, right? I look very heavily at the resume and I don't interview enough, you know, for particular skill sets. And so I've definitely made that mistake almost one too many times where you over hire on the resume, you under hire on the personality traits. I had to train myself to remove that bias from my head to make better decisions. That again is a very introspective thing. You just have to constantly be thinking about that on, on a daily basis. 
people ask me like, why do you think America is so great at startups, right? I think it's because the startup culture has always been in America. America has built some of the most celebrated businesses like Starbucks, Apple, Amazon. These companies are gigantic, but they always start from one singular person having an idea and putting in the effort. The emerging generation, uh, sort of 20s and 30s right now, I think has a sense of disillusion. They feel like there's not enough hope or not enough economic opportunity. I think that startups are the answer. They are the economic torchlight that can guide the future of economies. And how do you connect the dot between the hope and disillusionment of 20s and 30s and the future of kind of economic opportunity comes down to starting businesses, building startups that solve problems that go out there and essentially are able to scale. When you succeed, it's a unbelievable feeling. I'm lucky to be the, or the youngest Asian American publicly traded CEO on the NASDAQ of the New York Stock Exchange. I feel like this is the beginning of my career, to be honest. Even though for the last you know seven or eight years we've been building this company, Jeff Bezos was 30, 31 years old when he founded Amazon. I still have a very, very long career that I'd like for me to sort of embark upon. And I think it starts, of course, with making sure that fiscal net is successful and has the pathway to become an even greater company than it is today.